So at this time, we're going to jump into our series. Again, I'm Joe Collins, and I want to welcome you to See Me Church. And last week, we had a great time hearing from Reese Nealon, a dear friend of myself and of our church. And he came out here and did a great job of reminding us about the importance of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. Well, today we're going to go back to the series that I've been doing for the past several months called Jeremiah, the Branch of an Almond Tree. And instead of focusing on cringeworthy things that God made Jeremiah do, and there were a lot of those, I want to do something different today. And I want to look at a character who I believe is the most important character or person in Jeremiah, and I bet you've never heard of him. So when I was in high school, my girlfriend broke up with me. It was traumatic. I went through a, a, a pretty, pretty legitimate depression at that time. Obviously, you're graduating high school, you're going through transition, and I was, I was pretty devastated by all this. And I spent weeks, if not months, just hanging out in my room. Other than going to school and going to work, Pretty much all I did was lay in my bed all day and mope. Well, during that time, I realized that I wasn't alone. And that may sound weird, but a friend of mine, his name was Jason, he started showing up every day. And he just hung out in my room. Didn't really ask me what I was going through or what was going on. He just, I guess he had nothing better to do. And so he just came over and hung out and would listen to music. And I, I really barely even noticed that he was there. And it took a few weeks before I kind of dawned on me that, hey, Jason's been coming over pretty consistently. That's, that's nice of him. And I just, we started talking and then listening to music together. And, and slowly but surely, his presence, his friendship really did lift me out of this depression. And we went on to, to, come, to become great friends and we started hanging out all the time. And we're still great friends to this day. I don't know how this happened for Jeremiah. But at some point in his life, he acquired a friend like my friend Jason. And we don't hear much about this friend in the book of Jeremiah. We're not even sure when he kind of showed up into Jeremiah's life. But once he did, he turned out to be not only Jeremiah's assistant, but maybe his closest friend. And he was with Jeremiah all the way to their death. His name was Baruch, son of Neriah. We're going to tell his story today, but before we do, I'd like to pray before we get started. Father, it is so great to look into your word and see so many cool things and new insights. And thank you for revealing to us Baruch, son of Neriah. Thank you for putting him in there so we could learn from him and understand who he was and be encouraged in our faith. God, I love looking at your word. I pray that today we, we give our hearts to it, we, we clear out all the distractions, and we just let your word speak to us today through this great character in Jeremiah. Inspire us this morning to be more like Baruch. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Jeremiah chapter 32, if you don't have a phone or a Bible, the, the text is on the screen. I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed 
had it witnessed and weighed out the silver on the scales, I took the deed of purchase, sealed the copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave this deed to Baruch, son of Neriah, the son of Mahasiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, of who the witnesses who had signed the deed and all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. In their presence, I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. Now, the first mention that we get in Jeremiah of Baruch, son of Neriah, occurs in Jeremiah chapter 32. And the story goes something like this. God made Jeremiah buy a worthless field. We talked about this actually a couple weeks ago. And this, the purpose of buying this field was that it was a sign to the people of Israel that God would one day return the people to the land and they would be able to reclaim their territory. Now, it was during this little transaction that we first hear of a guy named Baruch. He's apparently Jeremiah's assistant, and he's asked to take the deed documents, seal them up in a jar, and keep them for safekeeping. Now, it's very interesting to me, but this is the first time that Baruch is mentioned. We go through 31 chapters of Jeremiah, and the first time we hear about this guy is in chapter 32. And to make this even more interesting, chapter 32, I've said this before, Jeremiah is not in chronological order. Chapter 32 actually takes place at the end of Jeremiah's life. So we don't hear anything about Baruch literally until the very end of Jeremiah's life. And all we get is that he's there, he takes some documents, he seals them up in a jar. The thing that I find curious is that by this point in time, Baruch and Jeremiah had been friends for at least 18 years. And we hear nothing. Like my friend Jason, he's just sort of in the room. We don't even realize he's there. But he is in the story. You know, they say that behind every good man is a good woman. I think Jeremiah might say behind every good prophet is a good friend. And Baruch was a good friend. So what do we know about him? Why do I call him the most important person in Jeremiah that you never heard of? Let's find out. Baruch ben Neriah, his first name means blessed. This is not his actual picture. He seems to have started life blessed. We know from Jeremiah 32, which we just read, that his father's name was Neriah. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 59 says... This is the message Jeremiah the prophet gave to the staff officer, Sariah, son of Neriah, the son of Messiah. What we find out here is that Baruch had a brother. His brother's name was Sariah. He was also the son of Neriah, and he worked in the government. He was an official in the royal court. We also learn that Baruch's grandfather's name was Messiah. Let's read about him for a second. Deuteronomy, sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temple, he sent Saphon, son of Azilah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joan, son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. Now, that name, Messiah, is basically the same person as Messiah in the first scripture. It's just a different spelling. So what we find out from this passage is that Baruch comes from a family of some note. 
His own grandfather was at one point the governor of the city of Jerusalem. He was born, we might say, with a silver spoon in his mouth. They were an aristocratic family. They had connections to the nobility. When Baruch was born, the world was his oyster. It was in front of him. He, could, he had advantages that most people didn't have. Now, with such a pedigree, you might think or expect Baruch to pursue a career in politics or to go on to be a big businessman or to make a name for himself in some way or another. But instead, Baruch chooses, instead chooses a life of hardship and near anonymity, becoming Jeremiah's assistant. Of all 52 chapters in the book of Jeremiah, Baruch is only mentioned in four of them. And we already read one of them where it really doesn't tell much about him other than he kept some documents for Jeremiah. Now, not to get confused, if you read the Bible regularly, you'll find out that there's other people named Baruch in the Bible. They're not this Baruch. Baruch is only mentioned in Jeremiah and only in those four chapters. You know, the older I get, the more I like discovering characters like Baruch. Because we know very little about him, but what we do know is very compelling. He was a man of substance, not style. And you know, the Christian life is more about substance than it is about style. And that makes me want to know more about Baruch, because I want to be a person of substance, not style. Or I should say more substance than style. I want to have some style. So what I want to do now is I want to look at the three remaining passages where Baruch is mentioned in the, in the book of Jeremiah, and I want to see if we can discover why he turns out to be the guy I call the most important person in Jeremiah that you've never heard of. We're going to start with a story that occurs 18 years before Jeremiah ever bought that field in chapter 32. And strangely enough, it's in chapter 36, because Jeremiah is not in chronological order. So chapter 36 actually occurs 18 years before chapter 32. And I want to prepare you now. There's a lot of reading, so let's buckle in. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll, write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, they will each turn to, from their wicked ways. Then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. So Jeremiah called Baruch, son of Neriah, while Jeremiah dictated all the words of the Lord spoken to him. Baruch wrote them on a scroll. Jeremiah told Baruch, I'm restricted. I'm not allowed to go to the Lord's temple. So you go to the house of the Lord on a day of fasting and read to the people from the scroll the words of the Lord, of the Lord that you wrote as I dictated. Read them 
uh, uh, as I dictated, read them to all the people of Judah who come in from their towns. Perhaps they will bring their petition before the Lord and will each turn from their wicked ways for the anger and wrath pronounced against his people by the Lord are great. Baruch, son of Neriah, did everything Jeremiah the prophet told him to do at the Lord's temple. He read the words of the Lord from the scroll in the ninth month of the fifth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. A time of fasting before the Lord was proclaimed before all the people in Jerusalem and those who had come from the towns of Judah. The Bible loves to repeat itself. It's important. From the room of Gamar, son of Siphon, the secretary, which was the upper courtyard of the entrance of the new gate of the temple, Baruch read to all the people of the Lord's temple the words from Jeremiah's scroll. When Micaiah, son of Gamar, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the secretary's room in the royal palace where all the officials were sitting. Elishama, the secretary, Deliah, the, uh, Deliah son of Shammah, El Nathan, son of Akbor, Gamara, son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, son of Hananiah, and all the other officials. After Micaiah told them everything he had heard Baruch read to the people from the scroll, all the officials sent Jehudi, son of Nathana, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, bring the scroll from which you've read to the people and come. So Baruch, son of Neriah, went with them with the scroll in his hand. They said to him, sit down, please read it to us. There's a reason why all these names are mentioned, and it's for fact-checking. So Baruch read it to them. When they heard all the words, they looked at each other in fear and said to Baruch, we must report on all these words to the king. Then they, said, and then they asked Baruch, tell us, how did you come to write all this? Did Jeremiah dictate it? Yes, Baruch replied. He dictated all these words to me, and I wrote them in ink on a scroll. Then the official said, Baruch, you and Jeremiah go and hide. Don't let anyone know where you are. After they put the scroll in the room of Elshama, the secretary, they went to the king in the courtyard and reported everything to him. They sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and Jehudi brought it from the room of Elshama, the secretary, and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in a winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. Whenever Jehudi read three or four columns from the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. They, even though El Nathan, Deliah, and Gamar urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Instead, the king commanded Jeremiel, son of the king, Sariah, son of Azrael, and Shelma, son of Abdiel, to arrest Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord had hidden them. After the king burned the scroll containing the words, that Baruch had written at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, take another scroll, write on it all the words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned up. Also tell Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is what the Lord says, you burned that scroll and said, why did you write on it that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and wipe it from both man and beast? Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them and those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened. So Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to the scribe Baruch, son of Neriah. And as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote on it all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire and many similar words were added. So chapter 36 
God tells Jeremiah to write all of his prophecies, beginning with his very first calling some 22 years prior onto a scroll and have it read to the people of Judah in the temple. Now, the problem was, is that Jeremiah had been banned from the temple. He was a political outcast at this point. The king did not like him because Jeremiah had been preaching that the king would not defeat Babylon and he had been advising the king to surrender to Babylon and the king refused to do that. So he decides to ask Baruch to take the scroll, but first he has to dictate the scroll to Baruch. Baruch takes the scroll, he goes to Jerusalem, he finds a balcony overlooking one of the new gates that leads into the city. And he reads 22 years worth of Jeremiah's prophecies and instructions to surrender and submit to Babylon, to all the people entering the temple. Now, there was a sympathizer of Jeremiah there named Micaiah. He heard Baruch speaking, and he told a group of officials who were also sympathetic to Jeremiah what Baruch was doing. And so they asked him to come and have a private reading of Jeremiah's prophecy. Now, fearful of the king's reaction, because the prophecies are pretty harsh towards the king, they tell Baruch and Jeremiah to go into hiding. And then they come up with this clever way for the king to find the scroll without fully outing who they were, that they were sympathizers. It's a lot like our politics today. <laughs> WikiLeaks and all these things. It was leaked out there. You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. As the king listens to the scroll, he cuts it up, burns it in a fire, and he orders Baruch and Jeremiah arrested. Fortunately, they can't be found. Then God tells Jeremiah to redictate the scroll to Baruch and asks him to add the story about what just happened about the king burning the scroll. <laughs> the first substantive quality I see in Baruch is obedience to the will of God. You ever get instructions from your parents? You notice how they're often very detailed? Now, I need you to do this. I need you to feed the cat at 8 o'clock, and then I need you to take the dog out for, to, to use the bathroom, and then when the dog comes in, I need you to lock the house up, and then, oh, by the way, did you make sure the cat at 8 o'clock, then the dog outside, make sure that, and then make sure they have water, lock up the house, and then do your homework before you go to bed. So just to recap, cat outside, feed the cat, dog outside. You get me? The Bible's kind of written a little bit like that in this, in this story. It's very repetitive for a number of reasons. There's names mentioned so that it can be fact-checked, but there's a lot of repetition in the passage because God is making a very clear point here. He had a very clear request and expectation on Jeremiah to do this thing, to have these prophecies preached in the temple under the reign of King Jehoiakim. He wanted it done, and he wanted it done right, and he wanted everyone to know what he had been telling the people for the past 22 years through his prophet Jeremiah. The problem was Jeremiah was banned from the temple and from the city. He couldn't go. So Jeremiah dictates 22 years to Baruch. And then he says, you go. And Baruch obeyed. Talking about obedience at church is a bit uncomfortable as the minister. First off, I have to obey too, and I'm not always good at it. So there's an element here where I'm a hypocrite, and I get that. But nonetheless, I'm being asked to remind you as 
believers in Jesus Christ, that there is an expectation God has of every one of us, if you call yourself a believer, to be obedient to His will. I have a friend named Eddie. We were talking about a friend, and let's call him Bob. I won't say his real name. Bob wasn't doing well and hadn't been doing well for a long time. And Eddie and I were constantly talking to Bob, trying to help him out spiritually, get him back sort of on the straight and narrow, let's put it that way. Bob wasn't very receptive, but Bob kept demanding or, 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 or asserting that he was still a believer and that he was faithful and everything was fine, even though... From everything we could tell, it was clear that he was actually not walking the straight and narrow. He was actually heading in a different direction. And we would have these talks repeatedly over a period of time. And finally, my friend Eddie said to Bob, you know, Bob, I know that you believe that you're right with God, but, but you got to do something. You see, Bob had the name Christian, but he didn't have really any evidence of Christian in his life or at least any more. He had really turned away from following the straight and narrow. And I love what Eddie said to him. You know, God expects something. I'm not here to tell you what that something is. That's, that's dangerous territory for a minister. My, my, my brother-in-law says, you go from preaching to meddling. I, I don't want to get into meddling in your life here. That's not my point. But I want to make this bigger point that if you call yourself a Christian, there is some expectation that God has for you to obey. Yeah. Yes, no? Yes. Is it fair to say? And what that obedience looks like, I'm not here to decide that or make determinations about that because Lord knows if you were to take a slice of my life at any point in my life, you might be able to point out, wow, Joe, you're not obeying very well here. And I would say you're absolutely right. I'm a sinner too. But I think we got to get away from thinking of obedience as some sort of destination like I've arrived. Look at me, I'm now obedient. Who here would like to stand up and claim that? I obey God. I think we got to think of obedience more like a direction. We're heading in a direction of obedience. And I think that that's the best way to look at it. And I think that's what I can park on for a minute and hopefully avoid meddling and actually stay to the preaching. God expects you to head in a direction of obedience. Are you obedient now? Maybe not so much. Are you a little more here? Hopefully you are, and so on and so on. And at any given point in time, yes, any one of us is guilty of sin, and we get that, but are we moving towards obedience? For Baruch, who, by the way, I don't know if you caught it, but he's just suddenly there. Like my friend Jason, he just... He must have been there for a while. I have no idea how long he was there before this. But at some point, Jeremiah looked around going, I need someone to go to the temple. Oh, Baruch, come here. He noticed him and sent him off. And I love Baruch because Baruch went, okay, I'll go. For Baruch, obedience was just, an ex it was just a given. He just accepted that that's what you do when you serve a prophet of God. You obey what they ask you to do. Where are you at in your walk with God? Are you trending towards God? 
Or is your obedience trending you, or disobedience, I should say, away from God? It matters. Verse, verse 8 here said, Baruch, son of Neriah, did everything Jeremiah the prophet told him to do at the Lord's temple. He read the words of the Lord from the scroll. That's what obedience looks like. Do everything the Lord tells you to do. I'm not here to tell you when you've arrived. I'm just asking you to think about where you're headed. Are you trending this way or are you trending in a different way? Chapter 45. When Baruch son of Neriah wrote on a scroll the words Jeremiah the prophet dictated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim son of Josiah, king of Judah, Jeremiah said this to Baruch. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says to you, Baruch. You said, woe to me. The Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I'm worn out with groaning and find no rest. But the Lord has told me to say to you, this is what the Lord says. I will overthrow what I've built and uproot what I have planted throughout the earth. Should you then seek greatness for yourself? Do not seek them. For I will bring disaster on all people, declares the Lord. But wherever you go, I will let you escape with your life. <laughs> it's always a, an interesting moment in a prophet's life when God says, I want you to do all this stuff. And by the way, you're barely going to get out alive. That's just the call of a prophet. I read this chapter, even though it's chapter 45, because actually, chronologically, chapter 45 is really just an extension of chapter 36. It's the same story magnified and expanded on. Again, Jeremiah is not in chronological order, so it's a little bit of a puzzle to put the chapters together. So we have chapter 36. The first time chronologically we hear of Baruch, he's given this task to go do what Jeremiah couldn't do and preach the scroll in the temple. And then we have chapter 45, which actually kind of digs into that story a little bit. And I want to do that because this is a whopper of a chapter. And by the way, it's only five verses long, so it's a great chapter, easy to read. <laughs> It goes like this. Baruch has finished dictating the scroll from Jeremiah, 22 years worth of prophecies. And these prophecies were mostly harsh, mostly negative. They were repent or perish, repent or perish. Oh, by the way, you're now not repenting, so you're definitely going to perish. Those were the prophecies sort of over and over and over. Pretty dark, pretty dismal, pretty heavy stuff. And after Baruch gets done dictating the scroll, recording it for Jeremiah, he's, he's noticeably upset. It says there in verse 2, verse 3, you said, woe to me. The Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I'm worn out with groaning and find no rest. That was Je uh, Baruch's response to dictating 22 years of prophecies from Jeremiah recording them on a scroll. I don't know about you, but I think if I sat down and heard 22 years worth of depressing news, I would be pretty depressed. I don't know. I watch the news sometimes at night, and after 22 minutes, I'm depressed. Can't imagine hearing 22 years worth. 
And maybe Baruch was depressed or sad because he was thinking about himself and his future wasn't very bright or his family or his nation. Or maybe he was sad because he wrote the scroll, took it to the king and the king burned it and he had to come back and write it again. Maybe he just found out, oh, by the way, first one got burnt, time to write it again. You're like, oh, I got to do this again? I don't know. Or maybe, and I think most likely, Baruch was depressed because Jeremiah asked him to read the scroll in Jerusalem. I'm reading into the text a little bit here, but I don't think it's out of, out of line. I think Baruch was dictating the scroll. It's pretty heavy stuff. Jeremiah was the face of this, of this operation. He was taking all the bullets and all the darts. He was the guy that had been exiled. He was the guy that was on the king's hit list. But then Jeremiah looks at Baruch and says, oh, can you go and read it for me? Because I can't go. That's a pretty big ask right there. It gives us some insight into how hard it was for Baruch to make the decision to obey. But here's the quality, in addition to obedience, that I love about Baruch. Now, the Jews have a word, chutzpah. Anybody know that word? Chutzpah. We might say audacity. But chutzpah is the willingness to do whatever it takes. And Baruch had chutzpah. He wasn't just obedient. He was willing to be obedient to whatever end he needed to be obedient. And don't think that it wasn't without a cost. He was born out of an aristocratic family. He had his whole life in front of him. And for Baruch to go public and, and, and align himself with Jeremiah as, as, a, 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 as a figure meant suicide for his career. He was now on the outs just as much as Jeremiah. It was political and career suicide for Baruch to go. But what does Baruch do? He says, I'll go. And you know what? I'm going to go find a balcony over the new gate that everybody's going to come in and out of. And I'm going to read this scroll nice and loud so everybody hears it. He had chutzpah. He didn't go to the old gate that no one used anymore. He went to the new gate. And he was preaching his heart out, sharing that scroll so much so that friends of Jeremiah heard what was going on and wanted to protect Baruch. That's how much chutzpah Baruch showed in this moment. Forget all the, the, the hope, that all the, all the uh, advantages I have in life. Take that silver spoon and throw it away. I'm doing God's will and I'm going to do it with all my heart. I'm going to do it with chutzpah. When was the last time you felt like you had some chutzpah in you. Years ago, I was in the gym, I, I, I work out, and, and I like to sit in the sauna after working out when I can. And in this particular gym, it was awesome. They had separate saunas, male and female. So you could get really comfortable in the sauna. You didn't have to worry about women being in the sauna. And I really like getting comfortable in the sauna, so I was very comfortable in the sauna. And another guy came in, and I hate to say it, but a lot of guys like to be comfortable in the sauna. And he came in, he was just as comfortable as I was. And we were sitting there very comfortable together in the sauna. And something told me I should invite this guy to church. I should talk to him, tell him I'm a minister, let's talk about it. 
Now, let me tell you, if you've never invited to somebody to church in their birthday suit while you're in your birthday suit, it takes some chutzpah. <laughs> you know, at See Me Church, our mission as a church and as believers is love, to love God and neighbor. And if we're going to accomplish this mission, it is going to take some chutzpah. Collectively and individually. I recently read an article about a church that was on the verge of shuttering. They decided as a last-ditch effort to put some chutzpah into their loving their neighbor. And so they put out flyers, the few remaining members, and they said, hey, any, any work you need on your house, we'll do it for free. No questions asked. And they papered the neighborhood with these flyers, and they had two people call up. An older lady needed her roof fixed, another lady needed her house painted, and they showed up, and they painted the house. Well, word got out. And then they started getting lots of requests <laughs> to help people and fix their homes. But here's what happened. Non-members of the church heard about it. And they started donating. And then they started showing up and volunteering. And that church now has quadrupled in size. And it's doing amazing things in their neighborhood. That's chutzpah. That's being willing to do the thing that's audacious. We have a plan to love our neighbor. It's called Oikos. The idea is that every one of us has a group of people that we identify as our neighbor. We write their names down on a piece of paper. We begin praying for them every day. And then we begin invite, investing in them every week and inviting them to church as often as they'll let us. And we don't stop doing that until they start showing up. And that's going to take some chutzpah. Yep. Imagine what God might do with that plan in Simi Valley. Imagine the number of lives that might just get changed. And oh, by the way, if you want to do something beyond that and serve them in some other way, feel free. In a couple of weeks, I want to do a lesson here. It's going to be a different kind of lesson. I don't really know how we're going to do it as a group, but I want you to make sure you're here for it in two weeks. But I want to talk about the future of Simi Church. And what I believe God is calling us to become. But I'm going to tell you right now, you better come with some chutzpah. Because that's what it's going to take to change our world, to change our neighborhood, to love our neighbors into Christ. Chapter 43. When Jeremiah had finished telling the people all the words of the Lord, the God, their God, everything the Lord had sent him to tell them, Azariah, son of Hosiah, and Johan, son of Kareah, and all the arrogant men said to Jeremiah, you are lying. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, 
You must not go to Egypt to settle there. But Baruch, son of Neriah, is inciting you against us to hand us over to the Babylonians so they may kill us or carry us into exile into Babylon. So Johan, son of Karah, and all the army official officers and all the people disobeyed the Lord's command to stay in the land of Judah. Instead, Johan, son of Karah, and the many army officers led away all the remnant of Judah who had come back to live in the land of Judah from all the nations where they had been scattered. They also led away all those whom Nebuchadnezzar, commander of the imperial guard, had left with Gildala, son of Hakim, son of Shaphan, the men, the women, the children, the king's daughters. And they took Jeremiah the prophet and Baruch, son of Nerah, along with them. So they entered Egypt in disobedience to the Lord and went as far as Taphne. Chapter 43. Again, it's not in chronological order. Chapter 43 actually takes place really at the end of Jeremiah's life. For some 40 years, Jeremiah and some unknown number of years, Baruch, by his side, preached and prophesied to the people of Israel to surrender to Babylon because Babylon was going to defeat them. There was no way around it. And king after king after king refused to listen to Jeremiah. And so they resisted. And eventually in 586 BC, Babylon came in and they destroyed Judah and the city of Jerusalem and the temple, destroyed the whole thing, and then took as many people as they could away into captivity. And there was nothing left. They effectively ended the nation of Judah and the ministry of Jeremiah. There was not much more for him to say now. Everything he said would happen, it happened. But a few of the survivors that were left in the land and some of the people who had, who had ran away before Babylon fi finished the city off, they returned. And they were small, and they didn't have much resources, and there was no way they could rebuild the city. So they came up with a really bright idea. Let's go to Egypt. It's a much better neighborhood. We can buy houses, we can plant crops, we can live there. Everything's going to be fine. The problem is, is all those 40 years of prophecy when Jeremiah was telling the people to surrender to Babylon because they're going to destroy Israel... He was also telling them, and don't think you can go to Egypt to get away. That was the other part of his prophecies. And here are these guys, and I got to believe Baruch was the one that wrote this down. These arrogant men who refused to listen to Jeremiah all that time. They see the city get destroyed. You'd think they'd show up and go, man, we got it wrong, Jeremiah. Whoa, really sorry. No, they show up and they go, hey, Egypt's going to be better. Let's go down there. And Jeremiah's like, Babylon's on their way there next. You're going to take us out of one war-torn area, and you're going to take us to another one that's about to go into war. I don't want to do that. God says, stay here. Stay in Judah. The armies are just going to march through. They've already conquered us. They're not going to beat us up. They're going down there to beat up the Egyptians, and you want to move there? And the men didn't listen. And they even accused Baruch of being the guy behind Jeremiah, who by this time was an old man, inciting Jeremiah to say these kinds of things. And I don't know about you, but I find that to be a very high compliment of Baruch, that he started to sound a lot like his friend and prophet Jeremiah.
Amazingly, they took Jeremiah and Baruch by force with them to Egypt, where Jeremiah and Baruch died. And that's the end of the story. Jeremiah, I mean, Baruch was an incredibly obedient guy, full of chutzpah. And the final thing I see in him is that he was also an incredible friend. Jerusalem was no more. Jeremiah's ministry was over. Baruch is still there. He could have said, hey, I guess it's done. We're all kind of done. I'm going to go home now and retire. No, he stayed with his friend, Jeremiah. I'm really grateful to be in Simi Church. One of the favorite, my favorite things about Simi Church, and I hear it from a lot of other people too, which is great, which is we have great friendships. And I feel that towards just about everybody in, in the fellowship. I know just about everybody to, to varying degrees, and I feel very endeared and close, and I feel it's reciprocated. I hope it is anyways, and I really appreciate that. And I see lots of friendships between people, and, and when we have our, our people do their welcome, I always tell them, please don't say your favorite thing about Simi Church is the friendship, because we just say it over and over and over. And I'm like, think of something else. But it's really a blessing that we have so many friendships here. And they're so long-lasting. And even ones that are relatively new, they can, be rel they can be deep. And they're powerful. And they're important. And I'm grateful for every one of them. I hope that you have a Baruch in your life. I hope that you have someone like I had, Jason, who I don't even know when he showed up, but he just started showing up in my life at a time that I needed him. And he became great friends. And he pulled me out of some pretty dark places and vice versa. I hope you have friends like that. But sometimes we can feel like we don't. Sometimes lives change, people move, and sometimes we feel left behind. Then go be Baruch to someone else. Go be someone else's Baruch. He was a man of substance, obedient to the will of God, full of chutzpah, and a good friend. Now you know why I consider Baruch ben Neriah the most important character in Jeremiah that you never heard of. So next week, we're going to bring an end to our series on Jeremiah. And as our custom, we like to throw a little bit of a party every time we end a long series. That was actually a custom in the Jewish faith. Whenever they would go through their liturgy for the year or two years, however long it was, they would throw a party. So I'm asking you to come next Sunday with your party hats on and your party shoes on because we're going to have a party. We're going to have a short little wrap up of the story of Jeremiah and then we're going to just enjoy some time together, some fellowship. Who knows? Maybe we'll put some snacks in the courtyard. Maybe we'll ask the band to play some fun music. But the idea is to just celebrate the end of this series and reflect on all the things we learned. I appreciate you guys for letting me do this kind of thing, to do these long, extended series and just kind of go open-ended. And believe me, it was a cost for me to count because I wanted to stay in Jeremiah all the way into next year. I love the book of Jeremiah. Someone asked, what's your favorite book of the Bible, and I say, whichever one I'm reading right now. And I'm reading Jeremiah right now, and I love it. 
But all good things come to an end. We can always revisit it another time. But we do need to focus on some other things, especially in the holidays and going into the new year. So let's come back next Sunday. Let's enjoy a great time of fun and celebration. We'll celebrate the story and the great messages we've, you know, the great insights we've gotten. If you'd like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it starts with the ABCs. Admit you're a sinner who needs a Savior. Believe Jesus is Lord and covenant with Him at baptism. We'd love to tell you more about that. You can ask the person that invited you out. And if you're not comfortable with that, you can talk to me or my wife. And if you're not comfortable with that, then just keep coming back because we're just happy you're here. At this time, we're going to go ahead and stand. We're going to close out with a word of prayer and enjoy some fellowship. Father, thank you so much for such a great story about Baruch. We know little, but what we know is awesome. Help us to be Baruch to each other and to find Baruchs in our lives. Help us to be the kind of people who obey, who move in the direction of obedience, who are full of chutzpah, and who are great friends. Bless our time today. Enjoy the fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. Good job, man.